Hello, this is Kendra Connor, worship leader at Christ Center Church. I just wanted to let you know that there is a quick snippet from Lauren and myself about our new Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash your C3 ministry, and then the message will follow. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Lauren. And I'm Kendra. And we're here to tell you about the Christ Center Community Ministries Patreon page. Kendra, what is Patreon? Lauren, let me tell you. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can sign up for to help support our vision. What is our vision, Lauren? Our vision is to have a building of our own where we can house our ministries, Christ Center Church and Christ Center Combat. But in order to do that, we need to raise funds for a building. And that's where you come in. Patreon has monthly subscriptions called tiers, and we have seven of them. Lauren, what are some of our tiers? We have three general Christ-centered community ministries supporting tiers. One of them is $5 a month, one of them is $10 a month, and one of them is $40 a month. And at each tier, it comes with different benefits. Check out our Patreon page to see what those benefits are. Kendra, what does the Christ-centered combat tiers look like? We have four tiers ranging from $15 to $60. And depending on which one you pick, you can have a monthly private lesson with an instructor up to a weekly private lesson with an instructor all online for your safety. We subscribed already and, and we're, we're waiting, waiting for you. Links down below. Kendra again, just wanted to let you know that there are some audio issues that do resolve themselves quickly in the episode, but I do hope that you enjoyed this message as much as I did. It's a continuation of the Chronovision message series. Enjoy. About 20 years ago, one of my favorite animated films of all time came out. I had no idea what to expect going into this movie, but it ended up, it, it was actually my particular brand of ir irreverent humor as a movie by the name of Shrek. Believe it or not, Shrek's about 20 years old now. And there's a particular scene in the movie where Shrek is trying to pass himself off as something other than the giant green ogre, and he's trying to infiltrate this place, and there's some guards, and as he walks by one of the guards, he delivers the infamous line, Working hard, hardly working. Hey, Mac. And I don't know what it was, but when I heard that line, it just cracked me up. And it has, for two decades, there was um, another TV show that I was watching recently, and there was a particular character in this TV show. And this is a character whose particular superpower, if you will, is to get energy people by boring them and by uh, essentially being one of those personalities that's just draining. I don't know if you've ever met anyone like that, but that's, that's this particular character was magnified. And he's giving all of these one-liners and dad jokes as he walks through the office and without fail as he's walking through the office day, he points at somebody and he says, working hard or hardly working? And I lost it. Again, don't know what it is about that phrase, but it just cracks me up. Maybe it's because it's so quick and ridiculous, yet there's a certain pattern to it, but it, I just it, uh, I love the phrase. And as I was preparing the, for the message this week, I was thinking about that phrase, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized that, yeah, it really makes me laugh, but at the same time, it also really makes me ask a question. It makes me ask a question about, when you really think about it, what my work ethic what your work ethic is. On any given day when you're going throughout life, whether it is your job or your family or your relationships or 
school, education, there's a, a myriad of different places that require efforts. And as we go through those different places and times and, and have the relationship with people, if we're not careful, we can just kind of go on autopilot. And when we ask that question about that statement, working hard or hardly working, I think it's on us to ask in all those different areas what we're doing. And what might seem initially as an amusing anecdote or a humorous cliche, it's a phrase that should give us pause and stop and make us think. And when it comes to those various areas of life, whether it be job, relationships, the spiritual life, in and through our lives, but he doesn't want to work with lazy people. Now, of course, that doesn't take anything away from the importance of rest, because we all need rest, and that's a biblical spiritual principle as well. But I think there's probably many of us out there that are spending a little bit too much time resting, and maybe should do a little bit more working. Ask the question tonight, are you ready to be someone that God builds something through? And are you ready to work at it, whatever it is that he wants to do in your life, in and through you? Because tonight, we're going to be back in Nehemiah, and we're going to be looking at Nehemiah's life again. And we're going to see that not only was Nehemiah a man who cared, we saw that a couple weeks ago. Last week, we saw that he was a man of great faith, and that faith guided and directed the things that he did, and how God brought everything to pass. But tonight, as we look at those verses in chapter 2 and then chapter 3 as a whole, we're going to see that Nehemiah was a hard worker, too. We see from his example tonight some very important ways that we, too, can be hard workers for God. And I want to invite you tonight to turn in the text to chapter 2, verse 17. You may already be there from the reading of the scriptures at the outset of the service. And then after that, we're going to jump over to chapter 3. And in the text tonight, we're going to see three important ways that we can be hardworking builders for God. Three important ways that God can do things in and through our lives and, and ways that we can work hard for God and, and accomplish things for him. So, beginning in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, as we look at the text, we're going to see that first working hard number one principle. Our first working hard number one principle, as we look at the text tonight in those two verses, is this. It's important that we work hard to glorify God. Now, you see, when we talk about working hard, particularly from the text tonight... We're not talking about energy levels, and we're not talking about the things that we can physically do, skills and abilities and those kinds of things. While it's important to use the gifts and, and skills and abilities that God has given us, we also, when we work hard for the Lord, need to have some objectives in mind. And when we talk about working hard for God, this is probably the number one most important thing that we can do in most important way that we can approach working hard for the Lord. And that's ultimately to bring glory to him. Because if you're spending your effort and your time and your energy working hard on things that aren't to glorify the Lord, then you're just wasting your time and your energy. Because we're told in scripture, whatever we do, whatever we eat, whatever we drink, wherever we go, ultimately should be to praise and glorify the Lord. That's in the New Testament. It's a New Testament principle, but we see it fleshed out here too. Because as we look at those two verses again, and I'm going to read them one more time, because I feel like in a way they're kind of the crux of the entire book of Nehemiah. 
In verse 17 again, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. When we talk about working hard, number one, uh, working hard principle number one, working hard to glorify God, when we see these two verses, we see that it's not only Nehemiah's call to the people to rise up and do something for God, we also see in these two verses the importance of glorifying and honoring God. Because the issue for God and his people here were not the strength of the physical structure that were going to keep their enemies out, necessarily, though that was kind of a practical application of the importance of the wall around the city of Jerusalem. But the deeper meaning here, the actual spiritual meaning here, we see in verse 17, which was that the wall brought honor and glory to God. It was a symbol and representation of his strength in the lives of the people. It was a symbol and a picture to those enemies and the enemies of God's people that God protected them and looked out for them and watched over them. Because we see here when Nehemiah challenges the people to build the wall, he says, come let us build the wall of Jerusalem. Why? That we'll be protected from outsiders? That we'll be safe no, he says, come let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Nehemiah was communicating to the people that the reputation of God was on the line here. That this was a picture of God's strength and his power. And that for them to not have this wall would make God look bad. So Nehemiah is challenging and encouraging the people to realize the importance of bringing honor and glory to God and his reputation. This was something that was going to take a lot of work, though. They're physically building a wall. And when we look at the text and we look at this idea of working hard for the Lord and working hard to bring honor and glory to God, we see that it's vitally important that if we're going to work hard to bring glory to God's name, we have to care about his reputation. As you live your life and you go about your day and you interact with others and you make choices and decisions... The question has to be asked, and you should be asking yourself, is what I'm doing, saying, where I'm going, how I'm handling things, does this bring honor and glory to the reputation of God and glorify his name? Or does it make God look weak and like he doesn't have any kind of power and control in your life? That he's not truly leading you? Because all of those things in your life all point back to the God that you say that you love and serve. And Nehemiah understood the importance of the symbolism here. And we're going to see lots more symbolism tonight in this text. A lot of awesome, fascinating stuff that I wish I could do several classes on, but I uh, don't have that luxury. But tonight we see that it's a matter, first and foremost, of bringing glory to God and caring about his reputation. And that extends to also recognizing his hand in the work. Nehemiah tells the people not only that they need to rebuild the wall so that they won't suffer derision any longer, but he makes it a point while challenging the people to recognize the importance of glorifying God, that God is in this, that he's real and he's powerful, and, and he's, his hand is upon Nehemiah's life and upon the lives of the people. 
So as you go about your day and you're making those choices and decisions and, and those things that reflect the Lord for either good or bad, do you also realize that you're also communicating whether or not God is actively involved in your life? You can say that you have a relationship with God, but can people see it? Can they recognize his hand on your life? Like Nehemiah very, very much visibly told them this, and you could see it in how God was bringing things to pass. He gives them the example of the king in his conversation with the king. What examples could you give other people about what God is doing in your life? About how he's making a difference? Is your life one that is characterized by sharing with other people what he's accomplishing, what he's doing, the good that's taking place? Or is your, do people even know that you love the Lord and that you serve him? Nehemiah wanted them to realize they must care about God's reputation to bring glory to him. He wanted them also to realize that in order to bring glory to God, we also have to recognize his hand in our lives, and people need to see that. We need to share it. And then we see if we're going to work hard to glorify God in this text, in these two verses, first and foremost tonight, if we're going to work hard to glorify God and bring glory to his name, we have to rise to the tasks that he's given us. Now, scripture throughout is notorious for there being several people whom God calls to do something and they choose not to follow right away. I made a joke about one of them this morning when we were outside in the shade about Jonah. I knew right away who that was and what that was all about. But there are several people in Scripture who, when God calls upon them to do something for him, uh, they either say no, or they make excuses, or they tell God to get someone else, or in some cases, like Jonah, they run in the complete opposite direction, and they're willing to have themselves thrown into the sea rather than rise to the task and challenge that God has given them. And we look at those folks in Scripture in derision sometimes, right? And we mock them, and we go, ah, I can't believe that they're not willing to serve the Lord and do what he wants them to do. But I ask you, how are you doing with that? What is God asking you to do in your life? What is he calling you to do, very simply even, basically through the text? Not, not some message from heaven necessarily, but... Because God's whole word is his will for us. But what from his word even, simply, are you not willing to do? We must be careful about criticizing others for not doing this, lest we condemn ourselves. But the people here, hearing the challenge of Nehemiah, said, yes, this has to happen. We have to bring honor and glory to God's name. We have to rise up and begin the work. In verse 18, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And they, they got to work, bringing honor and glory to God. And that should be a goal for each of our lives, to make our life a work for the Lord that brings honor and glory to his name, both personally and corporately as a church. When people think about Christ-centered church, do they think about a group of people that brings honor and glory to God? Hopefully they should, and if they don't, it's because we're not doing a good enough job of pointing other people to him, and we need to get to work. But that is the challenge that we see first presented in the text tonight. When we talk about what it means to be a hardworking builder for God, 
and working hard, the first thing, the most important thing that we can do with our lives, with our influence, with everything that God has given us, is to bring honor and glory to his name, no matter what it is. But that's not the only thing. If we're going to work hard for the Lord, additionally, not only must we glorify him, but secondly, we have to honor him. We have to honor him. It's a little bit different. There's a bit of a different nuance when you're talking about honoring God. Because glorifying him, we see, is a very visible, uh, it's a, a verbal. Nehemiah verbally points other people to God and so, with some very specific examples of God showing up. Then there's examples where you can see, particularly in communities of people, a community that honors God. If you've been in Christianity long enough and you're an outsider and you walk into a group of people, whether it's a church or any other group of collective Christians, it's not too hard and not too long before you figure out whether or not a group honors God and cares about him. And with this particular group, we see a group that does, in fact, honor God when we look at the text. Now, the second part of our text is the entire chapter of chapter 3. Now, we're not going to read that tonight because it's very reminiscent of those passages in Leviticus, which are oftentimes list of names. Now, what we have in chapter 3, and if I could get a picture, the picture that we have uh, up there. I'm sure it's coming. There it is. Okay, I know I don't expect you to be able to read all those tiny names and things. It's really the, the best we could do, but what I wanted you to see visually was a representation of the wall around the city. Now, there are the various gates, which are the names out to the side and kind of around the bottom there. Uh, those are the various names and gates around the city. And what you had here, and I share this picture so that I can explain chapter 3 and you can get a, a feel for what is taking place there, is that it's basically Nehemiah's uh, workflow chain, okay? So you have the entire city of people who are working, and then you had certain families that were assigned to certain gates and certain areas in order to rebuild. And that's what chapter 3 is. I would encourage you uh, to take time to read it between now and, and next week so you can keep track of the text as we move through it. But you had the different families at different sections that were responsible for rebuilding different parts of the city. And what is interesting when we actually do look at some of the verses of chapter 3, we see some very interesting things about those that comprise the different areas. So what we see when we talk about honoring God and we talk about honoring God and working hard to do that through a community of people, one of, these, one, of, one of the things that we see from Nehemiah's example is that we work hard to honor God when we work together in unity. When we work together in unity, when we're getting along, when we're at peace with one another, when we're dealing with those inevitable offenses that arise anytime you have a group of people gathered together, but processing them in a godly way that brings honor to God and growth to the people involved. And when we look at the text in chapter 3, we see that we can work hard to honor God in our community and in any community by recognizing the importance of unity among those who are doing the work. And what we see in chapter 3 are some examples of the people that were involved in the work, beginning in verse 1. It says, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. And then in verse 12, next to him, Shalom, the son of Helohesh, ruler of the district of Jerusalem, repaired. 
he and his daughters. And then in verse 14, Malchijah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of the district of Beth Hecarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And then in verse 32, and between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. So what we have here is a group of people from all different kinds of walks of life and backgrounds who are all working together in unity to accomplish a collective objective. And they're doing so in peace. We don't have rampant reports of people who are not getting along with others, who are disagreeing about how things should be done. They're all unified and united in order to bring honor to God in doing what God wants them to do and accomplishing his will. But it's also important to note here when we talk about bringing honor to God, it is not just about being unified and at peace in the work. It's also about being diverse in it. Because God did not establish one group of people from the community to be responsible for the building part. And then other people would do other things. When you look at the text here, you see a very diverse group of people involved in the work, but who are all working together. You have the high priest. You have one of the politicians and his daughters. You have uh, <clears throat> the goldsmiths and merchants. So you have the religious group represented. You have the 1%, if you will, and the politicians represented. And you have the working class folks represented. And they're all working together. They're all from different backgrounds, different economic status, different places in life, because that brings honor to God. Two of my favorite words in life, unapologetically, are unity and diversity. Because those bring honor to God. That is what heaven is going to look like one day. It's going to be a diverse collective of those who are unified in one task, bringing honor and glory to the Lord. And we see it pictured and represented here in the case of Nehemiah rebuilding those walls and God's people. Is that represented in the church today? Is it represented in our church today? Is it represented in the big C church collectively? It's something that we have to work hard to strive for, to bring honor to God through those things. And we see one last part of bringing honor to God, and this one is going to, uh, I'd be willing to, to bet this is probably going to, some people are going to maybe cringe a little bit, pull their toes back. Because we also notice something else here. There are no accidents regarding what God includes in his word. I'm going to tell you that right now. Every verse, there's significance to it. God doesn't just throw stuff in there all willy-nilly. There is, there is a specific reason for everything. And you have all these hard-working folk, the unified, diverse collective of people. And then, this cracks me up when I got to it, but verse 5. And next to them, the Dekoites repaired. But, so the Dekoites are working hard, but then next to them are those who are hardly working. Next to them the Dekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. All of these people, all around them, and you have this one segment 
This one group who refuses to get their hands dirty and be involved in the work of the Lord. Now, what I really love about this verse, and it just makes me go, wow. How is this phrased? But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. So it wasn't even a group of people who didn't claim to know God or love him or have anything to do with him. These would have been the folks that would uh, claim to be the most spiritual and the most involved. But yet, they would not stoop to serve their Lord. And I just have to tell you, the church is full of those people. It just is. And again, maybe some people here, maybe some people out there, maybe some people in churches everywhere. I didn't write it. Verse 5, God wrote that one. I didn't just add it. But in the church today, there are lots of people who won't stoop to serve their Lord. And they may have a myriad of reasons for it. But there's always, they're there. So what happens? Well, when we look at the text, we also find out that there, in other places, are others who were willing to take up the slack. There are people that are mentioned twice. Twice. Groups and families. Because they took up the slack for those that wouldn't stoop to serve their Lord. And I want to encourage you, Christian... If you're working at church and you feel like you're the only one working, well, first of all, you may be the only one working. But that being said, I want to encourage you from Galatians, don't be weary in well-doing. Because you'll reap what you sow and there'll be a reward. So rather than letting yourself get discouraged and beaten down and frustrated because so-and-so won't help out and contribute and do what, they're, you know, to do what they can, whatever, just do the work. And do it for the Lord. And trust him to bring fruit from that. Because he will. Because now, in scripture, you have several families that worked extra hard to take up the slack for uh, the nobles of the Dakotites who are going to live in infamy forever and ever and ever and eternity. Amen. For being lazy slackers. They didn't bring honor to God. We have to work hard to bring honor to God. We have to be willing to do what he's called us to do. We have to work hard at it. Because it's important to bring glory to God, but it's also very important to bring honor to Him as well. For others to see you living out what He's doing in your life and serving Him. So we see it working hard, number one. We work hard to glorify God. We see that from Nehemiah chapter 2, 17 and 18. And then in chapter 3, we see the importance of, of working hard to honor Him. We brought glory to Him. We brought honor to Him. And then... The last thing, we work hard to reveal God, to reveal God. Now, I mentioned that there was going to be some symbolism in this text tonight, and we, there's lots of symbolism in the gates that are around the city, because God is the master architect, and the various gates that people would go in and come out of the city had symbolism attached to them. We're going to look at three of those tonight. And what we see in that is the importance of revealing God to those who are watching. Because as we, as, from the outset of this particular message, we saw that the point of the wall was what? To demonstrate the power and the glory and the honor of God. So when in doing that, his intention then is for his people to reveal it. And we see it revealed specifically in the gates that take place around the city. Three of them we're going to look at tonight. First... As we work hard to reveal God, 
we have to point others to the sanctified Lamb of God. We have to point others to the sanctified Lamb of God. That is the sheep gate. Remember when we, we saw the sheep gate? We re, it was read first in the text. In chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashab the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Henanel. And then when you skip down to verse 32, we see, And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep's gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. So we know who did it, and we know what they did. And what they did with this particular gate, with the sheep's gate, is they consecrated it. That word consecrate means to set apart as holy to the Lord. And is a reflection and a picture of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the sacrificial lamb, who is consecrated and set apart to be sacrificed for our sin so that we could have a relationship with God forever. And it's no accident that it is the consecrated gate. And it being consecrated, it is the first fruits of what was dedicated and rebuilt to God. We have a first fruits offering where people are encouraged to give off the top of what God gives them. So to set that aside over and above any other offerings to be used for special purpose. And we see that pictured here in the gate that was consecrated, it was set apart, it was given to God as the first gate that was rebuilt, the sheep gate. In your life, do you point other people to the Savior who was the sacrificial lamb who died for your sin, who was set apart by God, by his Father, to die on your behalf. Because that's a symbolism represented in the wall, and that should be represented in your life as well. As you share with other people your relationship with God, is it one of humility that recognizes that you don't even deserve to be saved, but that it came at great sacrifice through no effort of your own? Because that is the challenge. It's one of them. And if we're going to reveal God to other people, much like the wall revealed God to other people, we must point other people to the consecrated sacrificial lamb of God. Now let's look at another gate. Another, another gate that we're supposed to point people to with our lives. The second is this. If we're going to work hard to reveal God to others... We have to point others to the unfailing word of God. God's word, the scriptures, also represented in Jesus Christ, the living word of God. So we have the living word of God and our Savior Jesus Christ in the scriptures, and then we have the written word of God. And we see that pictured in the water gate, not to be confused with the Nixon scandal, but the water gate. In verse 26, And the temple servants, living in awful, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. There's actually a lot going on in just those two verses. The first thing that's important to realize with the water gate is this. It's the only gate that was never repaired and was said to never be repaired. So when the wall was destroyed and all of the other gates around the city were wiped out and demolished, the water gate was not. 
And it points to the Word of God because the Word of God lasts. It lasts forever. It never changes. It never dies. It can't be destroyed. Just like the Watergate. And that symbolism is so important that uh, fast-forwarding to chapter 8, verse 1, when they have a lot of the construction done and they begin to gather together as a people, they have what is to be the first recorded Bible conference. If any of you have ever been to a Bible conference before, this is the first recorded Bible conference. You can quote me on that if you want. I don't know for sure, but I think that it's the only one I know of back then. But in, verse, in chapter 8, verse 1, all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. So he essentially came to preach to the people in the first Bible conference in the scriptures. At the water gate, and he very specifically asked for the law of the Lord of Moses, or asked for, yes, the law of the Lord of Moses. Because that points to the unfailing word of God. Our lives, how we live, what we say, what we do, should point to, first, the Lamb of God, but also the Word of God. The importance of living by the book and being people of the book. The book that doesn't change and lasts forever. No matter how much people try to say that there are errors and contradictions, those kinds of things, it lasts, it stands up, it holds. None of that is true. But do people see that in our lives? Do they know how much the Bible is important to us? And then the last gate, the final gate that we see here, is the east gate. The east gate. Verse 29. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. Why is the east gate so important? The east gate is so important because that was the gate in which Jesus Christ came into the city in the week that he was going to be crucified. The gate that he went in and out of when we looked at our series back in the last week of Jesus' life, one week left to live, he was going in and out of the east gate. And that gate very specifically pointed to the inevitable return of God. The return of the Messiah. And I asked, do our lives point to the return of Jesus Christ? Do we live in such a way knowing that he could come back at any moment? That's what that gate symbolized and represented. That's the importance of, the symbolism of that particular gate. Is that important in your life as well? Because all of those things, the sanctified Lamb of God, the unfailing Word of God, and the inevitable return of God, are all things that should be revealed regarding God through our lives. Are they? Of course, only you can answer that for yourself. But we must work hard to use our lives to reveal God to others. Because that is how they'll know. And they won't know and they won't believe unless they hear from us. And see in our lives. Now there's one additional point that I didn't write down, but it's really kind of jumped out. And I think it's super important as it, as it comes to applying all of this tonight. It's got a bonus, if you will. And that is this. As we look at the entirety of the rebuilding of the wall, and we look at the text in chapter 3, something else also sticks out to me. And that is the people were responsible for rebuilding close to their house. You notice that? 
I think it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One, proximity was important. It was most likely easier for them to get back and forth to the job site if it was right outside their door. But the other thing is this. If they knew that they had to look at that part of the wall every day, they were gonna, they were gonna make sure that it was built properly. Now, it's funny because in, in wrestling, in professional wrestling, you know, they do crazy stuff sometimes where people fly off the ropes and land on each other or they go through tables or they hit each other with chairs and all that kind of stuff. Now, those things, as I've mentioned before, in the past are called spots. They're, they're like stunts, essentially. But what's interesting is in the wrestling business, you set up your own spot, meaning if you're going through a table, you're the one that sets that table up. Now, when you set it up, it's designed to make it look like you're gonna put the other person through the table. But in actuality, that's not the case because if you set it up, you're probably the one going through it. And it's super important because if you get hurt because it wasn't set up right, then that's on you. And so we see that with the people who are rebuilding here. If an invader is gonna come crashing through the wall and it's gonna be by your house, it's on you whether or not you did a good job taking the time to build that. And our bonus from the text is this tonight. How much do you care about your life, your circle, all the things around you, and are you working hard to make sure that you're bringing honor and glory and revealing God to others through your life? Because as Christians, we get so fixated on and consumed by what other people are doing or not doing, verse 5, and we think about all those things to the neglect of our own house and the wall by our house. So as we look at the text tonight, what can we learn from it? Well, we learn that God wants to build something. And when he does, he not only uses people who care and have faith, but they also must be willing to work hard too. To bring honor, glory, and reveal him before others. So how can you apply this? Well, first, bluntly, make the choice to stop being lazy for the Lord. Don't be verse 5. Because as people, as humans, we have a tendency to get lazy. We do. It's inevitable. We all have a tendency, if we're not careful and we don't have people encouraging us and strengthening us, we can get lazy. Tell God tonight that you want him to do something in your life, to build something through your life, and that you're not afraid to work hard to see it get done. Don't be a Jonah. Don't be a Moses. Don't be those guys who it's very tempting to be like, and some of us are like that sometimes. We all are, but don't do it. Say yes to God when he wants to do something. And say, yes, I'll work hard no matter what it is, and no matter how uncomfortable or uneasy it makes me, I'm going to do it, God. First, make the choice to stop being lazy. Second, look for one way that you can glorify, honor, or reveal God this week to someone else. Now, I'm not necessarily asking you to do all three. If you can get all three, awesome. But at least let's get one. If everybody in this room and those of you watching online got one of those this week, think about the difference that would make. How many lives we could impact. If you look for one way this week to glorify, honor, and reveal God to somebody else in your life. And pray tonight that God would lead you to that person, that he'll make that opportunity, and that he'll show you what he wants you to do when that time comes. Because he will. If you sincerely want it, he will show you, and he will lead you to it. Make the choice to stop being lazy. Look for one way you can glorify, honor, or reveal God this week. 
And then lastly, decide that you're going to build your section of the wall. And be ready to step up when other people slack off, because they will. There's always going to be people who don't care, who aren't interested, who've got other things going on that are more important. But make sure you at least build your section. And then be willing to build someplace else for God if you must. Remember who you're building for. And then let's get to work. Father God, thank you so much for this text for the verses in 2 and the chapter 3. And God, I pray that we would be uh, believers who want to see your kingdom grown in advance, that we would be willing to work hard to bring honor and glory to your name and to reveal you to everyone watching. God, help us to work hard, to not be spiritually lazy, to be willing what needs to do what needs to be done in order to build something for you, God, whatever it is that you want to do in our lives, individually and corporately. Thank you so much for calling us to be your workers and for giving us the strength to do it. And God, thank you for sending your son Christ who's pictured in all of those gates. And God, I pray that if, if there's someone listening at home or here tonight who doesn't have a relationship with your son Jesus Christ, that they would tonight even pray and, and ask forgiveness for their sin and give their life to your son, to be their savior. And it's in his name we pray tonight. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message, Men at Work. It is part of the message series, Corona Vision, and the message series will continue next week. So I hope that you'll be back. Thanks.